We are excited to announce Generations Church now has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So, we want you to join us at 9 or 10.30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 1030. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377. Welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. You are invited to stay tuned for the next 59 minutes to enjoy some inspiring music from one of Hood County's wonderful congregations as well as an encouraging message from the Bible. The songs you are about to enjoy are from the Generations Church worship team led by Pastor Shake Anderson with the Gen Praise Band and on special occasions some great guest musicians. Later on in the broadcast, you may hear a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, along with some teaching from the Bible with Pastor Alan Mata or another generation's church leader or special guest. So without any further delay, welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church.
You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. Who was Jesus? The Son of God. I think he was a guy that lived in uh, Israel. Jesus, from what I gather, is probably a Jew who was one of the high right kind of priesty kind of people. Messiah? Uh, the guy from the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, God's son. He would, he would be a human being, like Muhammad was. Um, but uh, certainly as far as getting messages from God, I, I think it's highly unlikely. He's a prophet. A person. Not godly. I think he was given powers by God, but um, I don't think God um, is such a such a powerful entity that it would come as a form of, as a, of a man. He was a man who probably led, led a very holy life. But was he the son of God? I don't know. Jesus was a very good man of his time. I think over the years, our concept of Jesus Christ has probably changed. Jesus was God's son. He was sent down to... Uh, to die for the people of the earth that God had created because he'd fallen into sin. And I was actually in Jerusalem two or three weeks ago and actually went to the cave where he was buried. And uh, that was very uh, emotional and uh, interesting. I think he was given powers by God, but I don't think he is God. And I don't believe in the Holy Trinity either. Who was Jesus? Oh, Jesus is. <laughs> he, he is the eternal Son of God. He was with the Father. All things were made by Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. Who is Jesus? We've been proclaiming that this year as we journey through the Gospel of John. We've made it to the middle of John chapter 8, and man, this chapter is jam-packed. Each week we declare a different aspect of who Jesus is, and... Uh, it's our desire as a church to know the Lord, not just to know about Him, but to know Him. And so we're proclaiming different things about Him to remind us, as well as to learn things maybe we didn't know or things that we are slack in. So turn to John chapter 8, verse 30. The context is, as Jesus has been proclaiming who He is after delivering a woman from being stoned for being caught in the act of adultery. And so as he's proclaiming who he is, verse 30 happens. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Can you say many? Obviously, it wasn't everyone there, as we're going to read on. There's some unbelievers in the crowd. But many had become believers. But who knows a believer needs to go on? You know, if someone asks you, how do you go to Fort Worth? and they believe what you're going to tell them, and you tell them, get in your car, they get in your car, you haven't told them how to go to Fort Worth, right? There's some instructions as believers that we have for a living. So look at the next verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So to move from being a believer to being a disciple involves his word. Living in his word not visiting his word but abiding in his word sometimes i go to atlanta to see my parents 
I'm a guest in their home. I stay in their guest room. I am visiting Atlanta, Stockbridge, Georgia, to be specific, but I'm not abiding there. I abide in Granbury, Texas. And so it is in spiritual things, we are to abide in what Jesus said. And the result of that is verse 32. If we abide in him, we're his disciples indeed. Then he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the truth, we are made free by the truth. And the truth that makes us free is dependent on the truth that we abide in. You understand that? His word is truth. We abide in that truth. That truth that we abide in makes us free. So our freedom is proportionate to our abiding. His truth is constant. It's not going to be true for one person and not true for another. Based on our abiding in His truth will bring freedom to our life. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, Jesus could have took off on a tangent and argued with them because what they said wasn't true. Their nation was born in bondage, came out of Egyptian slavery, right? And then for the next 300 years after they made that horrible trek through the wilderness where they weren't exactly free there, they were in bondage to all the elements. God had to continually rescue them. And then there's the book of Judges where for three centuries they were in bondage to seven different nations at different times. They had troubles. And then there's a Babylonian conquest after the Assyrian conquest. And then the Persians came and took over from the Babylonians. And then the Greeks came and took over. And right then when they're talking, the Romans had taken over. They were living under the oppression of the Romans. Maybe they were like some charismatics who live in denial and think they're living in faith. You heard about the charismatic that had a cold, that he wanted to be a man of faith, so he ran around declaring, I don't have a cold Being a person of faith is living by the higher truth, but not in denial of the facts. I'm not going to let this code have dominion over me, is what we should say. But to say, I don't have a code, I don't have a problem, that is to keep the problem. That's telling God you don't need Him, that your faith is all you need. Well, our faith isn't in faith. Our faith is in God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty three, have faith in God and you can speak to this mountain and it'll be removed. In the Greek, it literally says, have the faith of God. I don't want a faith like God's. I don't want a God kind of faith. I want to have God's faith. And his faith comes by hearing his word. And his word, when it's proclaimed, brings faith. Faith is a fruit of the spirit. Faith is a gift of the Spirit. Faith that comes about when we hear the Spirit speak to us. That's not faith like God's. That's God's faith that He gives to us. So they were walking in some type of religious delusion. Johann Wolfgang Goethe said, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. If you're not free, acknowledge the fact that you need some help. That's just... Old-fashioned independence, trying to say you don't need any help. If you need help, ask for it. I kept my family in poverty for years. I was going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I remember we visited a family one time, and my son enjoyed this little tricycle that they had. And they didn't have any kids to ride trikes. They tried to give it to us. I turned it down. No, we're not going to do that. 
Went home, my son didn't have a tricycle because of daddy's pride. These guys had religious pride. He was telling them the key to truth, and they were going to reject it because I'm not in bondage. Meanwhile, every day they had to sneak home. Otherwise, a Roman soldier might grab them and make them tarry his pack for a mile. Then they have to walk another mile back. That's two miles out of their way and explain to their wife why they're late for supper. They were living in bondage. They needed a Messiah. They were looking forward to one. But Jesus wasn't the kind that they wanted. Jesus answered, verse 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. He's talking about being free from sin. If we abide in his word, we will know the truth, and the truth will make us free from sin. Look at verse 35. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. A son is free, all right? A slave isn't free. A son is free to go and come as he pleases. A slave is not free. A a slave lives with potential insecurity in that he may be sold to another slave master. He may be punished unjustly. He may be moved to another country. He has no say-so. But a son has rights where a slave doesn't have rights. You see that? Well, sin takes away our authority. It'll make us live by impulsiveness. Compulsions that control us will take us over because of sin. God wants us to be freed from sin to becoming a son. You see that? Transitioning life from living in sin to living as son is based on the truth that comes from the son. For if the son makes you free... You will be free indeed. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. How does the Son make us free? By His Word. And if we will abide in His Word, His Word, not man's Word, His Word, if we will abide in it, live in it, digest it, embrace it, hold to it, it will have an impact on our life that will help us to overcome sin. This will. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, verse 37, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. All right? The sin of murder was in their hearts because they didn't abide in his word. So they were in bondage to bitterness, unforgiveness, harsh judgmentalism, religion that only put people under pressure and didn't help anyone. They were in bondage to their own lust. They had just participated in trying to stone a lady and letting the guy go free. His word was not operating in their life. It had no place. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. They made a big deal about being Abraham's descendants. Verse 38, I know what I have seen with my father, but you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Now, it may appear on the surface that Jesus has just contradicted himself. They said that they were Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants. And Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Look at that. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants and never been in bondage to anyone. 
verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. And then verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The word for descendants is sperma, which means seed. You get the word sperm from that. The word for children is the word technon. They were distant relatives of Abraham. He was giving them that. But they were not his children. They were not influenced by him. I'm supposedly a distant relative of Peter Cartwright. If I read anything he wrote, it might be an influence in my life. But I'm a child of Sam Latta. And I see him looking back at me every time I look in the mirror. They were Abraham's seed, but they were really not his children. Because Abraham had received a prophecy that through him a son or a seed would come that would bless the world. And here he was standing in front of him. And Abraham's descendants didn't like him. Now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. That was a slam against Jesus. Because Mary and Joseph were only betrothed when he was born. And so it was rumored that he was the child of a Samaritan or a Roman soldier. He was illegitimate. He was whispered, he's a bastard. So they're declaring their pedigrees, trying to put him down. We, we are not illegitimate. We're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. So he's confronting them with the truth. I have a father. And he's not a Roman soldier. He's not a Samaritan. He's almighty God. I came from God. It's just hard for truth in their face. Nor have I come of myself. But he sent me. Guys, I'm here on assignment. I didn't come here on my own. The father sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. And we say, listen, abiding in the word brings forth freedom. But abiding the word begins with listening. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Faith comes by listening, and listening comes when we listen to the word of God. God's word is important to read, it's also important to hear. It transforms our life. That's why we get together often, more than just Sunday morning. We meet here on Wednesdays and other times of the week to hear the Word because we need it. We want to abide in the Word because we want to be free and we want to be a disciple. It all begins with listening. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my Word. They didn't respond by saying, Lord, Save us. Give us the ability to listen. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want the ability. So the truth that sets us free is a truth that we abide in. And the truth that we abide in, we listen to. So abiding in the truth begins by listening. And abiding in the truth precedes freedom. So if you 
want to be free, you need to know the truth. If you want to know the truth, you must abide in the Word of Jesus. If you want to abide in the Word of Jesus, you must listen. Listen, abide, know the truth, find freedom. Our text is verse 31 and 32. And we're proclaiming today, Jesus is liberating. Can we say that? How many want to live a life that is free? Amen. Free of sin. Free. Verse 31 again, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Transitioning from believers to discipleship. The New Living Translation renders it as follows. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The Message Bible reads, If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then the God's Word Translation says, If you live by what I say, you are truly my disciples. So what Jesus says is to be taken seriously, right? At the end of Matthew, he gives the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And teach them to observe everything I commanded you. Now, I know they're ripping the Ten Commandments off the walls of courthouses all over the country, and that's something to be debated in the courts, obviously. But more alarming than that is the commands of Christ that are being ignored in the church. He gave about 70 of them. They're important. If we abide in them, they will have an impact on our life. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Can we say free? The basic Bible says you will have knowledge of what is true, and that will make you free. Knowing truth isn't just being able to recite something true back. It's experiencing it. It's tasting it. It's knowing it personally. Adam knew Eve, and a child was conceived. Joseph did not know Mary until after her firstborn son was born. It's embracing the truth to the point that it becomes a part of you. The Message Bible says, then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. So the truth that makes us free is the truth that we abide in. And the truth that we abide in is the truth that we read, listen to, and we embrace. And we say Jesus is liberating. His word is liberating. Herbert Agar said, the truth that makes us free oftentimes is the truth that we don't want to hear. The truth will make you free, but at first sometimes it will make you mad. The Bible talks about different kinds of hearers. In the parable of the sowers, Mark chapter 4, that's all about hearers. The good soil is the hearer that receives the word and the word bears fruit. The wayside soil is the soil that doesn't hear the word because the enemy snatches the word away from them. The soil that's among rocks is like the hearer that wants to abide in the word but allows opposition 
to get in the way. And then the seed that fell on thorny ground is, is the distracted hearer. The hearer that's hearing all kinds of other things and God's word doesn't have preeminence in their life. But the good hearer is a person that bears fruit with it. There's another kind of hearer the Bible talks about. And that's the itching ears hearer. That's a hearer that wants to hear what they want to hear. They want to filter everything through their personal paradigm, what they want to hear. If we wanted to be honest, that's, that's America. Have it your way. The American hymn is me, 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 me. Bill Self said, somehow we have to make disciples instead of inspiration junkies. Somehow, as a church, we must be making disciples instead of junkies of inspiration. I love encouragement. I love hope. I love faith. I love to be fired up. But if that's all that's happening, the purposes of God are not being furthered in the earth. I'm just getting built up. But when we're made disciples, we're going to be all about His business, His purpose, and carrying the cross that He has for us. Amen? Jesus is liberating. Here's a truth to abide in that will free you from sin. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This statement is recorded again in Matthew. It's in Matthew twice, chapter 5 and chapter 18, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 9. What is he saying? It's horrifying to, to take that literally. But what is he saying literally? He's saying whatever causes you to sin, get rid of it. Obviously, if I steal, it's not my hands. My hands are used to sin. It's not my, you know, if I punch you, I can't blame my hand. Sorry, judge, the hand just got out of control. Oh, no, it's the hand that's going to choke you. No, it's a matter of our heart. But what's those things in our life, in our culture, that can trip us up? That's what you got to deal with ruthlessly. If you have cable TV and... The Showtime channel keeps tripping you up. Cut it off. Get a different package. Become radical in this thing if you want to be free. You see that? If you want to abide in that word, it means cut off things that will trip you up. It's not rocket science. It's pretty easy. Who likes sports? There's not a winning team that doesn't go to battle without a plan, without a strategy. And if you want to, want to win in the battle against sin, you're going to have to have a strategy. And part of that strategy is applying this verse. You hear about the old boy that was praying one day and said, Oh, Lord, I haven't cussed today. I haven't got drunk today. I haven't slapped anybody today. I haven't slandered anyone today. I haven't thought about killing anyone today. I haven't lusted today. But, Lord, I'm really going to need your help now because I'm about to get out of bed. That's a guy that needs a plan. I love prayer. I believe in prayer. God help me. Well, the Lord didn't help me, and I fell in sin again. Well, 
pray, Lord, help me and give me a strategy. Give me a strategy. In advance of the temptation, prepare yourself to go to battle. And we all have unique battles to fight. We all have unique things to deal with. It might be some old acquaintance. You got to let homeboy go if you want to stay free because otherwise he's going to lure you back in to the trap. Anybody want to be free today? Jesus is liberating. I emailed and texted a few of my friends with this question. If there is a specific truth that the Lord has used to bring freedom to your life, please let me know what that truth is and the resulting freedom you have found. Ben Chambers almost instantly responded with a text. He said, the truth I know is that if God said he will do it, then it will be done. That took the pressure off of me and put it on him, which is very freeing. He's free from fear, I guess. James Smith, when I read what people say, I hear their voice. He wrote, all things work together for good. He's from Mississippi. For those who love the Lord and pursue his purpose, it may take some time, but how true it is. And this brought spiritual freedom to him. Bethany Kirkpatrick wrote, I see people every day who are trapped and bound by fear, scared to do a lot of things, fear of rejection, fear of the uncertain future, fear of not being good enough. The Bible says that we were not given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is chaotic and disoriented. God set me free from fear. You know, fear will make you sin. You'll get so tired of being tormented by it, you'll try to medicate on something for an escape. Nadia Williamson wrote, I had God boldly share a scripture with me so that the devil could no longer lie to me. It is John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. <laughs> Freedom from believing lies. Alatha Swain wrote, The truth God has shown me is if I will trust him with my whole heart, and lean not on my own understanding, and in all my ways acknowledge him, he will always direct my path. Anytime I start trying to figure out the why, I set myself up for bondage. When I trust him in return, I have such peace and comfort. That verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Even in the process of climbing the mountain of grief, I feel as if I'm already at the top. I speak this scripture, his truth to myself. Anytime I feel the climb is just too hard. I am free once again and looking down at myself, climbing a mountain as if I'm already at the top. God is so good. This is emotional freedom while in a season of mourning. Juana Brookshire wrote that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 also encouraged her. It may be straight up the side of a cliff with no foot or handholds, and you can't even begin to see the top of the peak. But if that is the way God leads you to trust Him, trust becomes a sweet place regardless of what the circumstances look like. But oh, the view from the top. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. These are truths that if you embrace them, they will have an impact on your life and set you free. Diane Belanger wrote, 
when I truly understood the truth found in Romans 8, that nothing means no thing, not even me, could separate me from the love of God, I found freedom. Freedom from feeling unloved. Deborah Waits wrote, and this is being liberated from the fear of abandonment, I am not and never have been abandoned. He was there when the enemy lied to me. Jesus took me back and showed me all the times. Fear told me I was abandoned. Jesus set me free. The truth is Jesus was always there as he is today. He said he will never leave me nor forsake me. I am his beloved. Isn't it good to abide in the word? It sets us free. Sweet Emma Rose wrote, I decided to believe that every word that Jesus said was the truth. And somewhere along the way, when this was made unchangeable to me, I began to have a different outlook on everything I thought was truth. I knew Jesus to be truth. That made my way of life change. I have all I need through Christ, but I believe that he cares when I'm hungry. He cares whether I have shelter and clothing. When I understood it was his pleasure to give to me more than I'm asking for and more than meet my needs, it gave me a freedom to believe that he is a good God and the father I never had. That's freedom from rejection. Bill Breedlove came to see me yesterday and he shared this, that the verse that brought freedom to him in the midst of his trials is Hebrews 11.1 1, that says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Learning and applying this principle has brought me freedom from doubt and unbelief. That's a brother when we met him, told us he was dying of stupidity. He was diagnosed with dementia. We've had him share the testimony up here. He was diagnosed with dementia and he was slowly losing his motor skills, stumbling, falling, injuring himself, was building a steel panel wall around his RV to keep evil out. He had rented his RV to somebody that was evil who, st who robbed from him. So he was living in fear and bondage and he had no faith for healing. He didn't ask. He had, he had accepted it and thought it was a spiritual thing to accept. One day, he continued coming to church. One day, a grandchild threw a baseball at him, and he reached out and caught it. And he said, wow, I can't do that anymore. He said, do that again. And he threw another one at him. Wow, I can't do that. Let's try it one more time. Maybe it was just a fluke. Third time's a charm. He threw another baseball at him. He reached out and caught it. Now he had three baseballs. He said, man, I can't do that. How'd that happen? Let me see if I can juggle. And he began to juggle. He said, wow, I can't do this. Let me see if I can jump up and kick my heels. And he did. He was healed of dementia. Glorious thing. But those years of inactivity, he lost a lot of muscle tone. And it wasn't long till he ripped a hernia. And God didn't heal him instantly of that. He had to go the long route through surgery through the VA. And he's had all sorts of sports injuries, muscles that he hadn't worked, that he stretched, and not knowing how his knees are going to be met. But he's walking by faith and not by sight. And Hebrews 11.1 1 has kept that brother strong in the midst of his battles. And, of course, he can look back. Hey, I don't have dementia anymore. But resting in the word, faith is a substance of things hoped for, has set him free from unbelief. Scott Stoddard wrote that the truth of Hebrews 13.8, which says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, coupled with the promise of Romans 2.11 that states God is no respecter of persons, this brought freedom to him. 
knowing that he's a recipient of all God's blessings. God hasn't changed. He's not a respecter of persons. Why not ask God for all that he has? This brings great freedom. Our daughter wrote that she finds freedom from discouragement by embracing the truth of Psalms 27. It says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. By learning to wait on the Lord, I experience the fulfillment of the following promise in verse 14, which declares, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And by embracing that word, she begins each day worshiping the Lord. I know she does it because a family she used to live with when she was going to college, this last leg of studies, they told us she worships the Lord every day, plays her little guitar and worships him and does battle against discouragement. But Marietta Harold shared with me between services, Romans 8, 28, tells us all things work together for good to those that love God and are calling according to his purpose. Set her free from fearing the past, knowing that God can take everything from our past and use it for his glory. What are you needing freedom from today? In your bulletin is an insert to write out a similar testimony like this. What truth sets you free and what is the resulting freedom? If you're not able to write something, you still have something to write. And that's a prayer. God, help me to embrace your truth. Help me, Lord, to take your word seriously. The Bible gets bashed in our culture a lot, but it is the foundation of modern civilization. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. A book on your coffee table has no power. Demons can sit on top of it. They probably are because they don't want you to open it. Dust that thing off and just begin to read it. You can't read the whole thing in one sitting or even a month. Just read a little bit at a time. Read till something speaks to your heart and stop and pray about that issue and, and write out your prayers and journal about it and let God transform your life one day at a time and you will be able to look back after not a very long season and see freedom beginning to increase in your life more and more. Freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from insecurity, freedom from a purposeless, hopeless life. Jesus will do that. This next video clip contains facts that you probably already know, but you need to be reminded of. Watch this. The most common objection I hear concerning the Bible is that it can't be trusted as God's Word because, well, it was written by man and everyone knows that men make mistakes. In actuality, the Bible was written through men by God. In speaking of how the scriptures were written, 2 Peter 1 tells us that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible writers were not inspired as great artists or inspired to produce great art. The word translated inspired, it means God breathed. It literally conveys the idea of God breathing out the scriptures. Man was the instrument used by God to convey his thoughts in the Bible. Now the Bible is not one book, but 66 compiled under one binding, written over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 different authors from all walks of life, from varying occupations, written in three different languages on three different continents, during times of peace and in times of war. The Bible's authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write on hundreds of controversial subjects, yet with absolute harmony from the beginning to the end. 
Now think about this. Say we interview five people of the same nationality, working at the same job, living in the same town during the same year, and we ask each one of them to speak their mind on one controversial subject. What are the chances that they're going to agree? And yet, despite all the differences in the lives of those who pen the scriptures, the Bible is absolutely harmonious from beginning to end. The Bible's remarkable continuity is evidence of its divine origin. And this unity is due to the fact that ultimately it has one author, God. The Bible served as a basis for modern scientific pursuits. In fact, modern science was birthed in the 17th century because of a belief in an unchanging God of order, purpose, and consistency. The God portrayed in the Bible. It is filled with numerous medical and scientific facts and has been at the forefront of modern day science. When scientists thought that the earth was flat, the Bible described the true shape of the earth and how it is suspended on nothing. Before oceans were explored, the Bible knew of the existing valleys and fountains and springs down in its depths. It even mentioned the hydrologic cycle with great clarity, thousands of years before science even had a drop of insight. It is the only spiritual book that contains fulfilled prophecy. Messianic prophecy, for example, foretold us that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that he would be rejected by his own people yet bear their iniquities and save his people from their sin, which ultimately came to fruition at the cross when Jesus proclaimed, It is finished. The Bible is God's living and powerful word. It can be trusted because it is inerrant, inspired, and infallible. And though it has no contradictions, it certainly does have mistakes. The first one was when man rejected God back in the garden. Don't do the same. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. In salvation, He saved us through the cross. In Lordship, is exercised through His Word. The cross is a fulfillment of His Word, the fulfillment of His promise, and His Lordship fulfills His Word in us as He gives us victory over the sin. Freed from the penalty of sin, releases us to overcome the power of sin. Maybe you're repenting of the same thing over and over. The promise of 1 John still holds true. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're forgiven every time you ask Him. But the being cleansed from all unrighteousness happens as we get deep with Him. What is the issue that's making you sin over and over and over again? Your heart isn't to do that. What is the issue that makes the impulsiveness or the compulsion overpower you? Go deeper. Sometimes the thing that makes us sin is a lack of trust in God. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's just being selfish and obstinate. Sometimes it's a refusal to let people speak into your life. Simple things. Abiding in the Word will reveal all those issues and make us free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your Word today. I thank You, Lord, for the promise of freedom. Thank You, Lord, that You bought us freedom on the cross and You brought it to us in Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that as we believe that Word, we find freedom from the 
penalty of sin. And by walking in your word, the power of those things are broken. And we are made more and more like you. Thank you, Lord. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of your Son. Father, we pray that your word would have such an impact in our lives that we would be freer people than we ever dreamed of being. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury.
Thank you for tuning in today for Worship and the Word with Generations Church. You may hear our radio broadcast again at the same time and station next week. If you do not have a church congregation to call home and you live near the Granbury area, we would love to invite you to come check us out some Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Our meeting facilities are located at 5718 East Highway 377 on the Fort Worth side of Granbury. And our website is at generationschurch.org. We are excited to announce Generations Church now has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So we want you to join us at 9 or 10.30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 1030. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377.